lot to me. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. Episode 45, Lord of the Labyrinth. Just stay there. He'll get you. And he'll eat you. Because you've been such a naughty girl. Jen held her breath. She was traumatized in an incredible amount of physical pain and nearing shock, quite ready to give up. As she lay, Jennifer Dash looked through the branch walls, just on the other side, metal-tipped boots, the kind that a neo-Nazi skinhead would wear. But that wasn't the scary part. Follow the boots up, past the laces, past the brown leather-strapped trench coat, the shoulders, the head, the snout, the horns. This was a minotaur, and it was coming to eat Jennifer Dash. Why do children smile, Jen thought. Perhaps the reason lied in their options. There are more or less limitless choices. Life is a lot like chess. Your first move is one of a dozen obvious choices. As an infant, you can cry, wiggle your limbs, or sleep, or suckle. For a few months, that's about it. Just as, in chess, you only have so many first move options. But give a child a few years, say, eight... And suddenly, the olive branch of potential has sprouted into a full-grown tree. Eight plays into a chess match, and the potential movements of player one border on the infinite. The eight-year-old has just as many potential futures. She can grow up to be an astronaut, to be the first human to step on Mars. She can study science and end up swimming with sharks for National Geographic. She can study law and end up telling everyone else what they can do and can't do. She can skip study and become a homeless bum. She can choose to bathe only in public fountains. She can become a mime, a retail salesperson, a con artist, a chef, a libertarian, a communist, a protectorate of the proletariat. At the end of the chess game, usually a half dozen or so moves after the climax, the death rattle turning point, the options, the potentials, the choices dwindle back down to the point of origin. The choices are now whittled down to the following. Crying, wiggling limbs, sleeping, or suckling. That's it. Jen dreamed of being eight once again. She dreamed of that potential. Instead, where she was now, she'd already made choices. So many choices, so many directions, so many decisions. Now those decisions had come for the reaping. Jen could only move her pawn one of two ways. She could stay down, embrace the horrible destiny that hunted her, or she could get up try her hand at survival once more, return back into the hell she'd been living the past several hours. Despite the current circumstances, the day had started out quite peacefully. Adela had led Naima to a room, given her a microphone, and asked her to say the following words. You are very welcome here. 
Later, shortly after lunch with Lori and Marshall Winston, Adela accompanied her to the outdoor maze's entrance. First, he took her to a wooden tower that overlooked the whole thing. It was a large maze, Naima could see that much, but it didn't look unconquerable, not by a long shot. Remember, when you're in there, you've seen the entrance and the exit. Yes, ma'am. Now it's quite time to begin. Adela walked Naima to the entrance. Wait for the signal. Naima didn't know what the signal was. That is, until she heard it. Heard her own voice. You are very welcome here. Naima's voice rang out through the speaker system that looked to be built into the maze. First steps. Right at the beginning, there was a choice. The maze led right or left. Naima chose left. But before she took more than two steps, she took out her secret weapon. A dagger. You see, Naima couldn't sleep the night before. Marshall Winston had warned her about this labyrinth. He wouldn't divulge many details, but he said it nearly killed him. Said it was the hardest thing he's ever been through in his life. Naima recalled the initial conversation about this heart-sickening maze. Now enough talk. You need to get some good rest tonight. Tomorrow you're going into the maze, right? Yeah. You nervous? No. Should I be? Probably. Why? I didn't tell you my other theory. Huh? I said that I thought there were two reasons for the ropes going into the pit. Oh, right. What's the second reason? I think they're digging. Trying to dig to the center of the earth. Why would they want to do that? Because there's something important down there. Something somebody wants. Somebody? You'll see tomorrow. This place isn't just run by Mama and Faderbeck. It predates them. There have been souls seducing people into the center for far longer than all that. Who? Uh, you'll meet some of them tomorrow. Promise? Oh yeah. You know jujitsu? Karate? No? That's a shame. Mine really came in handy. With that in mind, Naima knew she had to find a way to prepare herself, to defend herself. So, she tiptoed in the night into the forest, retracing the steps on the way to the Will-o'-the-Wisps pit. Thankfully, despite the dark, she found what she was looking for. The tree that weeped that crazy sap stuff. The tree with a dagger in it. Naima grabbed and took the blade, making sure to bring it with her into the maze. And now, merely two steps into the maze, she'd already thought of a great use for the sharp little blade. She used it to notch a mark onto the branch-filled wall of the maze. She marked it with a single vertical line, signifying the number one. If she got turned around and happened to stumble back this way, or if by some measure she needed to escape, she'd read the one carved into the wall and know she was back at the very first start. The walls were made out of skinny branches binded together. They rose up well over Naima's head, at least ten feet tall. They weren't perfectly straight, however, and one could easily see through the branched barrier to the other side. After just a few minutes, a second turn left, a turn right, and a third turn left, dagger scratch two, three, and four accordingly, some delightful classical music blared out on the surround sound speakers. What was Marshall Winston talking about? This was a breeze, and super fun to boot. It occurred to Naima that maybe the labyrinthine experience was re-tinkered for every new level 3 hopeful. Maybe the center thought Marshall Winston needed some humbling. It was something to think about, at least. About 30 minutes later, 
Naima was convinced she was almost free. She notched 14 numbers into the walls and had yet to see one number repeat itself. As long as she kept covering new ground, she was bound to find her way out. The maze was only so big. She just notched number 15 after a slight turn left when she came to her first dead end. At the end of the line, at the corner of this dead end, there stood a seven-foot-tall white bunny rabbit. This was the thing. This was one of those watchers Naime saw the night of the leprechaun sacrifice. It was frightening. Rabbits, when oversized, don't give off the cute and cuddly feeling. Worse still, this one was staring right into Naime's eyes, and it appeared to her to be smiling. Then, poof, the music changed and the rabbit was gone, evaporated, and in its place stood a tall, medieval-garbed, dressed man, smiling, heinously smiling, holding an old-school fife in his hand. This, after so long, the Pied Piper, here, now, finally. On the intercom speaker system. What? Surprised? Don't be. And don't be afraid. We're all here. Fife music. Naima about faced and sprinted away. She zigged and zagged, not caring whether she was going back the way she came or turning somewhere new. It must have been somewhere new because another right turn and BAM! Another dead end, accompanied by another white rabbit. Naima froze with fright. Don't be shy. It changed too, evaporated, reappeared, not leading generations of children to their doom. No, he changed into another villain, the Patriot, big, fat, and old. What did you expect? The intercom shouted. The Patriot just stood there, smiling. The ineffable speaker spoke for him. I'm a king in my own right. But I have yet some ambition to me. For three years now, I've tried to gain a certain prize. Why? That's none of your concern, just as your whimsies are none of mine. A tip here will work with you. Is that okay with you? Naima ran again. She feared what would happen next. She feared the ghost of Tiff. But she came anyway. Naima ran straight into another dead end. A momentary white rabbit. Evaporation. And then, Tiff. Just standing there. Smiling, 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 smiling. Words on the intercom. Guideline number one. Don't kill. Don't kill. Don't kill. Naima ran, collapsed, ran again, found another dead end. This one featuring none other than Flusher O'Malley. After turning the corner, safe on a long stretch of maze that provided no deathly dead end with subsequent transmorphing white rabbit, Naima collapsed into a puddle. Get it together. Get it together. Stay calm. Stay cool. Big breath. Count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, everything's okay. There was a gong. Siren. What's that? Naima's voice on repeat over the loudspeakers. You are very welcome here. 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 Close your eyes. Tight. Drone out your voice. Drone out every voice. Don't think about the grotesque smirking bunnies. Don't think about the Pied Piper. 
Don't think about Tiff or Flesher or anyone. Just don't think. Keep your eyes closed. Go back to the kingdom. The kingdom in your dreams. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Escape. Escape in your mind. Drum it out. Cancel everything. Be at peace. Climb the mountain to the everlasting king. Do it. Do it. Do it. Come on, girl. Come on, Jen. She couldn't capture it. Her peaceful dream, once instilled deep in her conscience by the combined forces of brain extraordinaire Miles Fa and the religious fervor of Father Thomas, couldn't quite be imagined. Jen envisioned herself climbing that towering, sacred mountain to the king's realm, but the rocks kept crumbling under her feet. She couldn't make any progress. Not with these dirt clogs surrounding her. Naima catapulted the dream out of her mind. What good was it if it couldn't be used to calm her down? As a backup plan, Naime used the tip of her dagger and scratched at her tattoo. <sighs> One, rhymes with fun. Two, don't be blue. Three, find the key. Four, don't ignore. Five, go for a deep dive. Six, learn the tricks. Seven, there is no heaven. Eight, you're never late. Nine, you've done fine. Ten, your name is Naima, and you are a level two at the center of the universe. You are loved by Mama and Father Beck. You are devoted to the center's mysteries and magicians. Naima opened her eyes, looked up, scanned left to right. No sounds blurring on the intercom, just calm, labyrinth passageways. Nothing to be scared of. Nothing that Naima can't muscle up and figure out. Then he came. His footsteps carried no weight. He walked towards Naime, nearly floating. Smiling, she stared at his visage with an odd blend of kindness, love, and fear-laden anxiety. Like the others, his lips didn't move, his mouth never opened, but his words, for the first time ever in English, rang out through the speakers. Yesterday was the summer solstice. Oh, Naime replied. I didn't know it came so soon. I guess I lost track of time. Do you want to be like me? Like you? Yes. Just for a moment, a flick of the eye, the image of Robin, the eponymous lost boy of Liechtenstein, turned. Like a light switch tapped from on to off, Robin revealed himself as White Rabbit. Just as quickly the switch was flipped back to on, and the White Rabbit went back to hiding underneath the visage of the nine-year-old orphan. Do you mean like you as in a, a rabbit? Rabbity? Dead. You're not dead. I died yesterday, and you'll die today. Naima had no words. She had no way to process this information. You better run, right now, or the Minotaur will have you for lunch. The boy slash bunny disappeared, and Jen heard for the first time the pounding of a 600-pound half-man, half-bull beast thundering through the labyrinth. The monster turned the corner. Mace in its grip, it roared and pummeled toward Jennifer Dash at top speed. Jen froze. The beast rammed her. Had the Minotaur's head been smaller, his horns would have been closer together, ergo, Jennifer Dash would have been skewered, killed, if not instantly, than in minutes at most, from blood loss and severed internal organs. But... It just so happened that the Minotaur's horns were far enough apart that when he ramrodded the young woman, hitting her square with the middle of his overgrown forehead, no horn pierced her skin. 
As the beast hit her, he reared his head, sending Jen flying 20 feet down the labyrinth passageway. Her body splashed against the back wall of the maze. There was no time. No time to reflect on damages. No time to pity yourself. rang out as a hymn on the speakers. The Minotaur barely ever broke stride. He'd gored Naima down the line, kicked the bucket as a toy, preparing to finish off now his prey. He stormed down the corridor. Jen tucked and rolled out of the oncoming locomotive. The Minotaur couldn't react quick enough. He slammed into the wall, entwining his horns into the branch maze. This bought Jen some time. Four seconds, to be exact. She ran. Left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, dead end. Smirking white rabbit. Change, Jorge Robles. You have two options. It's the end of the game, Nehime. You can join me. You can be dead. You can. Lay down and die, like I did. Remember when I died? Do you? Jen turned and backtracked. Left instead of right. No, Jen sprinted past the branch with the number nine scratched into it. She was lost. How'd she manage to be back at number nine? How could finding the exit be this hard? Chanting the headless voice of the speakers. Then she remembered the knife. She could knife this thing. Stab the minotaur in the heart. She could. She paused, took out her blade, and waited. What are you doing? Lilith Babbitt appeared to name I'm going to fight him. If Marshall Winston could beat him with... with... with karate, then I can win with this. Jen stabbed at the air. Do you know how old this minotaur is? The smiling, lip-sealed Lilith asked. Jen didn't have an answer for her. He's one of the old ones. You think he hasn't seen weapons before? You won't beat him with that. A snort. He was coming, just on the other side of this row. Jen moved. Babbitt may not be right, but the fear was too gripping. Jen decided that running was a better idea than fighting a giant minotaur with a little dagger. The minotaur must have sniffed her. Naime could hear his boots tracking her, always just a turn behind. She picked up her pace, thankfully not running amok into any more dead ends. Can you imagine the misery? Jennifer Dash, Jennifer Collin, Jennifer Free, Jen Firth, Naime. One woman, bombarded with the faces and names of her past, all while being chased by an unspeakable monster. Hell is often imagined as a depressed, static place. Jennifer Dash knows better. It's constant misery, imputed with manic desperation. Hours went by in the maze. Jen had suffered at least two broken ribs from her one encounter with the Lord of the Labyrinth, and now she was running on fumes. And due to the near-constant voice of doom spewing vitriol from nowhere at her about her insignificance and her sins, Jen was beginning to hate herself. She wanted it to stop. A new horror at every dead end. A beast never-endingly catching up with her. She was drowning. She was drowning, and the idea of just sucking water into her lungs was becoming more and more appealing. Just to make it stop. Anyhow, any way. That's when she collapsed on the ground. He must be fed. Just stay there. He'll get you. And he'll eat you. Because you've been such a naughty girl.
Jen held her breath. She was traumatized in an incredible amount of physical pain and nearing shock, quite ready to give up. As she lay, Jennifer Dash looked through the branch walls, just on the other side, metal-tipped boots, the kind that a neo-Nazi skinhead would wear. But that wasn't the scary part. Follow the boots up, past the laces, past the brown leather-strapped trench coat, the shoulders, the head, the snout, the horns. This was a minotaur, and it was coming to eat Jennifer Dash. And Jennifer Dash was okay with that. Push aside fear. Let the sweet relief of failure seep in. Let death come. Name it. That voice from so long ago. Name it. Look at me. She did. Red Jeb Heller, Jen's neighbor growing up. He was, in all truth, the only person Jen respected back before she stepped out to solve the world. Red Jeb Heller, cranky old neighbor that feared the return of the Russian communists more than death itself. Red Jeb Heller, how on earth did he get here, all this way? The old snark barely ever left his mobile home. He'd never even consider stepping a foot outside Louisiana, let alone be an ocean away from safe capitalist America. Red Jeb, what are you doing here? I've died. Why are you here? Am, am I dead? There's a choice, of course, but more importantly, name you have a destiny. I do? Yes, and that destiny doesn't involve being eaten by a communist minotaur. Not here. Not now. What's, what's my destiny, Red Gem? You've already been told. I don't remember. Tall. How do I... Tall. Let it save you. Jennifer never expected to see Red Jeb again. Seeing him here, in this hell, was a miracle. Instinctually, she was going to do whatever he said. Whatever Red Jeb told her to do, she'd do it. The Minotaur was here. The snarling beast stopped, spotted Jennifer, and picked up his mace. He began to swing it and march towards her. Apparently, ramming hadn't been a successful enough approach for the monster, so he was changing tactics. A slow march to a mace-bashing ending. Tall. 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 Jen stood up. Tall. Focus. Tall. Tall. Naima thought of tall trees. Pictures she'd seen of redwood trees. Ancient groves spiraling up towards the heavens. She thought of Stonehenge. Those heavy, huge, old stones. The pyramids angling up towards God. Naima. grew. The sensation was odd. In fact, there was no sensation at all. Naima didn't feel anything. There were no growing pains, no personal sense of getting larger. But suddenly, the walls around her were shrinking. Naima watched, stunned with satisfaction, when the Minotaur high-tailed it and ran, pounding the ground trying to get away from her. She was scaring him because she must be growing. She stared at her hand, her good hand, of course, that is. And as she stared, she caught the distance between her hands and the walls extending and extending. The ten-foot-tall walls. Naima could see over them. More and more. (laughs) 
It appeared that Naima had stopped growing when the walls reached only her chest. That must put her at what, 13, 14 feet tall? Maybe more? Her destiny had saved her. Red Jeb, again, had saved her. Tall now, and without the haunting of the menace monster, Naima saw the exit and walked the straight path out of the labyrinthine hell. Hey, hey, hey! Solve the World is produced by myself, Dante Stack. Full attribution for the sound effects and music we use on this show from week to week can be found on my show notes page at DanteStack.com. Guys, I say this every week, but I'm going to keep battering this drum until you all listen and do as I say. We need to multiply our numbers. Like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Solve the World Podcast. And while you're on Facebook, share our page with others and help me grow this audience. We got a great story running here, guys, and I'm hoping to grow our audience so I can sustain the pace of producing an episode week to week. And I need your help to accomplish that. All right. Thanks for listening. See you next time. We've seen many amazing things in our travels with Jen Dash, but never before has the epicenter of mystery and wonder come from Jennifer herself. Next time on Solve the World. Naima tries to wrap her mind around what's happening to her and what the center really wants from her, the goddess of height. <laughs>